Well, good morning. My name is Emma Kindred, for those of you who don't know me. And I'm going to grab a quick drink of water really quickly. I am the summer intern here at Christ Church, or as the staff likes to call me, the pit, pastor in training. That counts for armpit, pit crew, I've heard it all. I prefer Emma, though, so... The sermon series we're talking about um, that we've been covering the past few weeks is called Generational Blessing, and it's focused on the grace of God as seen through each age group of our society, of our world. The term generational blessing actually came after the term generational curse, which I found kind of interesting. The term generational curse is found in the Old Testament before Jesus came along, and a generational curse refers to when someone's sin affects future generations, their children, grandchildren, and so on. But that does not mean that God has cursed humanity. That's not who he is. God loves without limit. He doesn't curse us. He even sacrificed himself for us so that nothing, not even our issue with sin, could ever separate us from his love. John 3, 16 through 18 proclaims that wonderful news, saying, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So the opposite of a curse is a generational blessing, which comes from salvation through Jesus Christ. By sincerely asking God for forgiveness of the things you've done wrongly or selfishly, you are made new. Your slate is wiped completely clean, which means you can share the love of God, the love that he has shown you. You can be a source of generational blessing. The past few weeks, like I've said, we've talked about how specific groups have been a source of generational blessing. We've talked about how grandparents, men and women of faith, and children have all been blessings. However, there is one more age group that we haven't discussed. And what a risky thing it is to do to put a 19-year-old in charge of telling you how great youth are at being blessings. Well, here goes. The passage we are looking at today comes from the book of the Bible called 1 Timothy, which actually isn't even a book at all. It's a personal letter written from the Apostle Paul to his dear friend Timothy. As one of my professors likes to say, when we read a book of the Bible that's a letter, we are reading someone else's mail. This was a personal letter written from one friend to another. Paul, I'm assuming, had no clue that this letter, along with others, would wind up in the most sacred book that we now call the Bible. We need to keep that in mind when we look at what he meant when he was writing to Timothy. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are amazing. You are good. 
You created the entire universe. You were there when it formed, and you will be there when it ends. And you are here right now. I pray that we will be here right now with you, that you will remove from our minds any distractions, any chores that we have to do, anything that is on our plate for today or the week, because there's a reason that you brought us all here today. So I pray that we will be present with you. Let me step aside so that you can speak through me. I pray that my words will be your own and that you will not let me interfere with what you have to say. Let your spirit wash over us so that the words we hear will flow into our hearts and remain there forever so that when we walk out into the world, we can share the truth that we know in you, the goodness of your love. I pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. The verse we are going to look at today is 1 Timothy 4.12. Please follow along if you would like in your own Bibles or the Bibles in the pews. Um, If you follow along in the pew Bibles, it's on page 1194. If you're reading from your own Bible, I cannot tell you what page it's on. (laughs) Um, I think it's also going to be up on the screen too for you. And go ahead and give me a thumbs up when you're ready. Is everyone ready? Okay, cool. 1 Timothy 4.12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example to the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Something you do need to know about Timothy is that he wasn't young at all. Based on the time Paul wrote this letter, in reference to the time Timothy died, historians estimate that Timothy was in his late 40s when the letter was written, and he lived to be 80. So he was a middle-aged man, not a youth. So why is Paul empowering him the way he is, telling Timothy not to allow anyone to look down on him because of his youth, because he's young? It seems like Paul got his wires crossed and sent the wrong letter to the wrong person. But that's not what happened. When Paul wrote this, he didn't mean it in literal respect to age. He was referring to Timothy's youthfulness in his faith. You see, the Apostle Paul met Timothy on Paul's second missionary journey, in which he traveled around to many different places and proclaimed the gospel, and he brought people to Christ. And Timothy was one of those people that got brought to Christ. Timothy and Paul became very close friends after that and co-workers. And the two letters addressed to Timothy that are found in the New Testament are intended to be sources of encouragement. Because at the point Paul wrote these, Timothy was an elder and an overseer of this church. Timothy may not have been a teenager, But to be in that high of a place of leadership within the Christian church, the early church, at his age, let alone as a fairly new believer, he was considered very young and very inexperienced. So why does his age matter? Why am I telling you all of this? Because it means that this scripture does not only apply to literal youth. This message isn't strictly for teenagers. The Google definition for teenager is someone between the ages of 13 and 19. The definition of youth, however, 
refers to the period between childhood and adulthood. It's much broader. In our faith, infancy is when we first accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. Adulthood, then, would be when we reach full spiritual maturity, which is what we strive for, right? To know God in the fullness of his being and to know ourselves as he intended us to be, in his image. The time in between those two, then, would be youthhood. Now, if I had to guess, I'd say that most of us are in youthhood of our faith. Not because we are all immature, but because we have more growing to do. Our job of learning never ceases until the day we die. We are all youth. Another definition offered for youth is an early state in in the development of something. In the case of our faith, we can never reach full knowledge. When we put our minimal knowledge in regards to God's complete knowledge, in perspective with that, we are all in the early stages of development. Therefore, we are all youth. But don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Instead, set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. When you think of youth, disregarding the definitions I've given you, what do you think of? Shout out some words. (laughs) I'm the pit. (laughs) Immature. Kids. Risk takers. Childish. Searching. Fun. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, foolish, maybe? Immature. Misunderstanding. Growing. We are all growing. But the growing period that we have is just a little bit more evident in youth than it is in adults. God uses youth to open our eyes to the fact that he can use anybody for anything. God uses the people who are currently actively growing to grow the body of Christ. If he always called the qualified, then those people wouldn't feel the need to fully rely on him. Thus, they would never experience full dependence on God and understand the magnitude of his power. Let me put it this way. If God called a mathematician to solve this grand math problem, then that person would have reason to say, of course I solved this problem. I know math. When we feel fully capable, we don't recognize our constant necessity to fully rely on God nor do we experience the joy that comes from seeing his strength in our weaknesses. There are numerous people in the Bible who felt unworthy or incapable of God's call to them. But they knew that in order to fully 
fulfill their duty that God called them to. They would need to fully rely on him. There are two people in the Bible I want to focus on today who both boldly acted on what God called them to do. Even when people around them told them that they couldn't do it or that they were too young. There's one person I think of specifically who did not let anyone look down on her because of her youth. She set an example for other believers in the way that she walked with God, in the way that she had faith. This young woman was the earthly mother of Jesus. God calls us all to very unique places of service and sacrifice, and for Mary, her call was to be a teenage virgin mother of Emmanuel, God with us, God himself. We've heard this story time and time again, but usually only around Christmas time. It's important to note, however, the circumstances that God chose to have his son born into. It's no coincidence that Jesus, the king of the world, was born into a barn. And it's also no accident that God chose an ordinary, middle-class teenage girl to be the mother of God. God breaks stereotypes and demolishes boundaries to show his capabilities when we feel too young, too inexperienced. But it's not us. It's God working in us. All. There's a quote that says, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And I can't help but think of that new building out there when I hear that quote. Because on paper, we are not yet financially qualified. But I have faith that he will provide. He always has in the past. He is our provider, our protector, and our matchless maker. I don't know if you heard it in the news a few days ago, but there's a valedictorian who just graduated from high school who was going to give a graduation speech. And when he prepared it and showed it to his principal, the principal came back and said that he couldn't have in it what he was going to say. In his speech, he was going to talk about his faith, his love of Jesus Christ, and they told him he couldn't. God called him to do that. And when he got told by everyone else that he couldn't, God still worked because that kid got on national television sharing his story and sharing why he wanted to talk about Jesus, so that he could show the love of Christ to others, so that he could save them as he saved him. That's amazing. There's another young person in the Bible who is definitely unqualified for his call. He was a little scrawny teenage boy named David. This story is found in 1 Samuel 17. This kid was the youngest of eight brothers, many of which were fighting in the Israelite army at the time. David was young, most likely around 16 years old, so he was not yet old enough to enlist in the army. So while his brothers were serving the nation, he served his father by taking care of his sheep. The extent of David's service in the army was taking food to the soldiers, namely his brothers. And one day, the war reached a stalemate over a valley in which the Israelites 
God's army were on one side of the valley. And their opposers, the Philistines, were on the other side. And neither one of them wanted to move because as soon as they did, they would become vulnerable. Because as soon as you march down that valley, the other has a, has a really good way of just abolishing you from above. So instead, the two opposing sides just camped out on either side of the valley. Pretty soon, a huge, towering champion fighter from the Philistine army came out of the Philistine camp and taunted the Israelites. I'm guessing some of you know his name. Goliath. Why aren't you coming out to fight? You too scared? Your God isn't big enough? Let me tell you what. You can get one guy from your side to come out and fight me and kill me, and all of my army, all of our nation, will be your subjects. But if I kill him, you are all ours. He did this for 40 days straight. Then one day, David's dad asked him to take some food to his brothers and ask them how they were doing. And in doing so, David heard what was going on and was asking people about it. 1 Samuel 17, verse 28 says, When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard David speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You just wanted to watch the battle. Despite his brother's cynicism, David's inquiry about what was going on was overheard by Saul, the leader of the Israelite army. David immediately told Saul that he would fight Goliath without any training or armor. If you haven't heard the end of the story, I'm about to spoil it for you. But if you have, let me remind you that David, a young, unqualified, immature 16-year-old, took a stand for God in choosing to put his own life on the line for God's army. He chose to fight Goliath with only a slingshot and a stone. And after one perfect sling to the head, Goliath fell to the ground with a boom. David then slayed Goliath with his own sword. Everyone that day doubted David's ability. And I'm sure that if you hadn't heard the story before and you didn't know God's greatness, and you didn't realize that it was a story from within the Bible, you would expect him to fail as well. Even his own brother doubted his ability. And who could blame them? I mean, the odds were not in his favor. But let me tell you what. God called him there for a purpose on that specific day. God gave him strength where he was weak. And David did not allow anyone to look down on him because of his youth. Instead, he set an example on what it means to be living completely by faith. He boldly stood up for the army and for God himself when God called him to, and he won. 
and the victory was 100% God's glory. Both David and the entire army knew it was God's strength and that it was by God's strength because there was no way that he could have done it alone. You know, something my mom likes to tell me is that I have the best of both worlds. She says, I have two brothers, but they're both old enough now that they don't live in the house. I've always had brothers. I've always grown up with brothers, but I've also grown up my entire life being the only kid in the house, like an only child. And that statement, having the best of both worlds, has enlightened me to see the pure blessing a youth has. As growing Christians, we have the best of both worlds, and youth have the best of both worlds being stuck in the middle of adulthood and childhood. It is our sincere blessing and heavy responsibility as growing Christians to be innocent and dependent on God as children are, while still setting an example for other Christians and for other people who don't yet know Christ as adults do for kids. A youth has the opportunity to see where they've come from, to see the childhood that is in a, dis- that is in a very recent memory, while looking forward to adulthood, which is everything they want to be someday. We aren't stuck in the middle. We are blessed to be in the middle. Because that means that God is not done growing us. But while his work isn't done, being a youth means we've grown from somewhere. We've grown from childhood. We've already grown. But there's endless opportunities for us to grow again. No matter where you are in your faith, do not let any lies from anyone around you or from voices inside your head, do not let any lies speak louder than the truth of the Lord. Do not let those lies stop you from serving God in the way that he has called you. Do not allow anyone or anything to inhibit you from faithfully hearing and listening to God's voice, to his call. We are all by ourselves, unqualified. But let me tell you the powerful truth. We are also all called. We are all called to live Christ-like lives every day of our lives. Let's pray. Lord, you are faithful. You are constant. You are sovereign over everything always. Thank you for empowering your people to serve you in the ways that you call them to and for speaking them to them in a way that they can listen and hear your voice and then act on it. Thank you for using us. I pray that today when we leave this place, we will listen to your voice telling us what to do, what you are calling us to do this week, to spread your name and to live out the call that you have for our lives. And I pray that we will do it fearlessly. In your holy name. Amen.